you have to pivot. I mean, even if you are one of those big companies, you have to have uh, enough emotional intelligence uh, and as little ego as possible to understand that we've got to pivot, that I was wrong. And I'm not saying I was wrong to go the CBD route. I just think for us, why we pivoted, one of the main reasons is compliance in terms of like totally. Facebook, Google, Amazon. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another You're Not Your ROAS. I have brought to you today probably one of the most high accolade athletes that's been on the show. Uh, awesome human and just a crazy cool story. Mike Lee, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a long time coming. It's yeah. I finally got the invite. It's Well, you know, I, I've been <laughs> a long time fan, first time caller, so I'm really excited to get you get you in the seat there. Obviously powered by uh, my juvie, shout out Francis. Um, so... You were a really, really successful boxer. Yeah. Um, give us kind of some background. How did you get into boxing? And then kind of paint the picture of like young Mike, boxing Mike, getting out of boxing Mike. Sure. I mean, I started fighting at about eight years old. I was born and raised in Chicago. Eight. Yeah, man. My dad brought me to a boxing gym when I was eight, right? <laughs> I had like just barely hit hands. And actually, I just got in a fight at school and I think I got in trouble for it. Anyway, that's a long story. Um, I did win. I did win. One <laughs> one of the few at, at a young age I won. Most of them I lost. Um, but my dad brought me to a boxing gym at, at about eight, and I'd been fighting ever since. And so growing up, I was always playing basketball, football, baseball, a bunch of different sports. Right. But boxing really started taking off for me right around like 15, 16. And I just became obsessed with it, man. I became obsessed with that like one-on-one feeling. Yeah the competition aspect and that adrenaline rush you got. And so I just started getting better and better. Um, started fighting in the amateurs. I won the Chicago Golden Gloves yep. um, and ended up getting signed by Top Rank uh, to turn pro basically at 21 years old yep. and took it. I mean, I knew no matter what, I'd always regret if I didn't go for it. Yep. And so whether my first fight, I broke my hand and never fought again or yeah. I become a world champion, I was like, at least I got to go for yeah. it. And so, you know, this three people died just a couple of years ago in boxing and two of them were undefeated fighters like this. You we really literally risk our lives in this sport. Um, wow. So I knew that going into it, but you know, I knew no matter what, like if I didn't go for it, I'd always regret it. And so it ended up leading into a crazy 10 year career. I had 22 pro fights. I finished my career 21 and one. Um, I finished, uh, number three, 21 and one. Yeah, man. Did you get knocked out or uh, good I got, cards? It got stopped the la- my last fight. Yeah, so technically a knockout, but the ref stopped it. I think yeah. he stopped it probably a little early. I got knocked out a few times, but came back and won every single one except the last one. Yeah. Um, my last fight, I fought for a world title, MGM Grand. Uh, really? I didn't know any of this. Yeah, dude. Do you use like wild. a walkout song like UFC Oh, yeah. Style? What'd you walk out to? Uh, Kanye West, Good Life. Let's go. Every single time. So being from Chicago, like I love Kanye. I know he's... Obviously not the most popular person right now, but uh, his music, I love Kanye's music. And uh, yeah, dude, um, good life every time. I just, I loved music that made me feel good. I didn't want like hard, like Eminem or shit like that. So for me, when I had a smile on my face, I always performed well. So Because the adrenaline dump's real as well, right? Like it's incredible. It, like people will always talk about that with the fight because you just get intoxicated by the crowd, especially at that size. Yeah. And like you're on wings yeah like two or three minutes and then everything is like and, and it's it's almost not impossible very challenging to come back from because you, you just blow your load you're just you're it's, it's pretty challenging it's interesting i used to get such a high off fighting you know for instance you talk about adrenaline masking pain i got to fight at madison square garden my 12th fight i think and i got a fourth round knockout and i shattered my right hand during that fight my adrenaline was going so much that i didn't even feel it i kept fighting and it wasn't until we got back to the dressing room, took off the hand wraps, just mangled, and the hand was just twice the size as the uh, as the other one. I got a big scar in there, so that kind of showed me. I'm like, holy shit! Like how incredible adrenaline is. And even after the fights, I would almost like get depressed because that that adrenaline dump. Until I had the next fight, it was just like, what's next? Um, so it was a lot of ups and downs, man. It was like ten years of ups and downs. Got to fight in some incredible arenas, Did you knock anybody out cards. Oh yeah, I had uh, twelve knockouts. Wow, out of twenty, that's yeah. impressive, especially with the bigger gloves. Because in MMA, yeah. the smaller gloves, like those bigger gloves, like not that you can hide, but like there's just a lot more coverage. Stuff slips off when you have those five ounces, dude. Like 
yeah uppercuts are coming through like there's just a lot more vulnerabilities yeah. versus the big gloves you can really make them work the um that's so interesting what was your best punch i think my right hand you know i was always an athlete um like a power puncher yep. so i was like what what's known as like a, a boxer puncher so for my style i definitely use like athleticism and strength and speed um which works well against some styles and then didn't work well against others but I would say power was probably one of my biggest uh, advantages. Outside of the, so then you were never knocked out then, outside of the TKO. Outside of one fight, yeah. Yeah, outside of the, yeah. and that wasn't, you said it wasn't. In the last fight I was. It was just a TKO with the ref was like. Exactly, it was a TKO, yeah. yeah. Um, I got dropped uh, a couple times and then slipped the third time, and I was just taking my time, and I was losing the fight, but yeah. my whole plan with that fight was to take him into deep waters, yeah. and I was fighting the best in the world at the time, so it, it is what it is, but, um, you know, I thought the ref stopped it too early. Yeah. But now that I look back, I'm always like, listen, I actually had relief that that fight was done, not because of the opponent or because of the fight, but my body had gone through so much that the last few fights of my career, my heart just wasn't in it, man. Like yeah. We had multi-city press tours, you know, we're going all over, and, and I'm like talking shit, and I'm trying to talk about how ready I am, how excited I am, but deep down... I hated it. Deep down, I was like, I'm so ready to be done with this because my body and my brain and my head are just taking too much damage. So it was kind of like living um, uh, in authentic life yeah. for me towards the end. Inertia's a monster, dude. Like, exactly. <laughs> when you get something going and like at yeah. the kind of what we were talking about at dinner last night where I had, I had the, not nearly the success in sport, but I was a D1 athlete, like really good runner. And once I quit that, like... It was, uh, I, dude, I was just floating for a really long time because I'd never built these life skills because my life was already planned out. Like yeah. my whole thing was just show up and crush. Yeah. And then yeah. when you don't have that structure, it can get get kind of fuzzy in that. But do you have any memorable fights where you're just like, oh man, that was a good one? I mean, Madison Square Garden was probably. Wow, so you did MGM and MSG. Yeah. I mean, those are probably the most, the two most iconic arenas, right? Like those that that's it. I'll never, or at least in yeah. fighting, like the, those are for UFC. Those are the two that you want to as well. That's like, the MSG or yeah, those you the know, two ones. Twenty thousand people. I'll never forget that moment walking out of the tunnel in MSG. I'm 25 years old, and just getting chills. That surreal yes, moment. Yeah. And dude, in the garden when you walk out of the tunnel, they have pictures and posters up of all the athletes and performers <sighs> that perform there. So you're walking down the hallway and you're seeing. Muhammad Ali and like freaking Elton John and like Michael Jordan and you just like it's such a wild surreal moment where you're excited you're nervous you're everything in between that was one of the coolest moments of my life just to know that all that hard work kind of culminated to that take us through like what a camp looks like because it's pretty like, again I'm a, I'm a big UFC fan and it's pretty akin to because you guys are making weight you, a lot of people cut as much as you can right because like if I'm a fight at a, a buck 60 but i'm really 185 by the time i'm fighting i'm going to be back at 185 and so it's almost like this like wrestler mentality right of like how much can you take take us through kind of like what a, a camp is like yeah i mean generally before a big title fight it was about eight to ten weeks that we have a training camp and a lot of that is not only getting ready for our opponent but also weight management and right. i had a nutritionist on board his name's andy galpin He's a stud. Yeah. yeah, he's a mad yeah. scientist. He's been on Rogan a few times. Yeah, yeah. Worked with a bunch of different top guys. He's with um, Andrew Huber Huberman a yep. lot. So anyway, he he's a genius in terms of like, he knew what I had to eat, when I had to eat, recovery, all that. He really had me prepared because that last fight I fought at 168 pounds. I walk around at 200 pounds. Giggity dude. Yeah, dude. When I, when I got the call from my agent to sign for the world title, he was like, how much do you weigh? And I was like, I think I lied to him. I was like, oh, I'm about like a buck 88. He's like, yeah, because we knew it was like the fight. Well, you got an opportunity to go down a weight class to 168. I was fighting at 175 light heavyweight, but this one was at super middleweight, 168, uh, 168 pounds. And I remember getting off the phone, being pumped, stepping on the scale, and I was 202. And I was like, fuck, let's go, baby. And I was oh like, I had gosh. to take it, you know? So it was tough losing that weight. I think that's one of the toughest parts about a training camp. It's a 34 pound weight cut in yeah. what, two months? Yeah. I'm like, that's a lot. And then, you know, we had the weigh in 24 hours before the fight, which is traditional. And then, you know, I weighed in 167 and a half, I think, right below the so limit. Yeah. Made weight. 
And then the next night, by the time I stepped in the ring, I was probably 183 to 185 pounds, which is pretty common. And I think it, it just, over time, that does a lot on you. And as you get older, the weight cut gets tougher and tougher. So like, again, bringing back that UFC analogy, because I'm more uh, seasoned in UFC than I am boxing history. Um, and that's exactly what you see, man. Like people will kind of crush at this weight class, especially these bigger muscular guys like you, where it's like, you're, you you know what you're walking around at, and like you you are not a 185 pound person. Like you you're walking around 220 or something when you get in the ring, and there's these people that you look at them. There's no way they weigh that much. Like, right. Like and the other thing too was because um, a lot of that has to do with you uh, essentially dehydrating yourself as well to get the last three to five pounds off, right? And so yeah. there's supposed to be, um, and you can sp- speak better this to me, but like a really tight correlation of dehydration and either getting knocked out or just having like a softer chin, right? Yeah. It's funny you say that because I'd been hit so much harder in the past by bigger, stronger guys. Right? The- but when I had to lose that extra pounds, I think that my brain was dehydrated a little bit and I had what's known as flash knockdowns. So I remember getting knocked down and being like, why did that knock me down? You know? So that can be very dangerous. And how a lot of, we talked about deaths, how a lot of guys, if they're overcutting, um, and they don't rehydrate properly. And I, I think I rehydrate as best I could. Did you guys but do IVs or no IVs no. either? So yeah, the UFC kicked them out too. Yeah. I think they did. I think it's actually good they did that because otherwise guys would drop way too much and just IV up. And it feels like you're dying, dude. Like when you're really going through a weight cut and at the end you're not drinking water and you, cause you come into the, the, the fight week, like probably anywhere from like 10 to 15 pounds heavier. Right. And so it's all water weight right. at that point. And uh, I don't miss that, man. I don't miss it. I'm grateful to be retired and eat what I want, drink what I want. The same, man. That was uh, uh, those one-on-one sports. And boxing's a little different because there is definitely a big skill vector to it where it's like, Mm -hmm. but with running, it was just, dude, once your heart wasn't in it, because at the end of the day, when you get to the level of running, like D1, there's there's essentially like three stratas. There's like the dudes that no matter what you're going to do, they're always going to win. Like they're mm-hmm. just, they're built different. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Then there's kind of like the middle of the best where it's like you know, on your best day, you can challenge these guys. And I was kind of in the third of the best where I was like the worst of the best kind of stuff. Yeah. And I'm telling you, man, once you lose, because essentially it's all about just getting as many quality miles as fast as you can. So I was running more miles than I was actually driving. Like it was just crazy. But once you lost that, like, I'm going to go in here and die or win. Yes. It, it was over for me. Like, cause the training is so hard. Like everything is so hard. And really at the end of the day, most of it came down to who wants to go deeper, who wants to feel more pain and that person would win. And once I lost that edge in like the last half of my year of running, once I lost that like killer instinct of like killer be killed, I was done. I was done. Yeah. I knew like it was like hang them up, Robert. This is it. Like you're out. This is not a sport where you can like baseball or something and just have such a skill set where you don't have to work that hard. You just show up and you crush. It's also a team sport, so you can hide a lot of inefficiencies. Where um, running, even though like in cross country you score for your team and track you score for your team, you're competing on an individual level. Yep. It's a lot of pressure. It's great. I loved it, but I used to be in a soccer, and I'll tell you what, like the soccer wins with the team in a weird way were more meaningful, but the wins in races, and I'm, obviously it, this is kind of a bit of a stretch, but what it felt like, like in a war almost, like a war of your mind, where it's like, this is there's nowhere to hide. It's like quarterback, yeah. where it's like yeah. you get all the glory, but you also get all the failure. Yeah. And so it's just this uh, very weird dichotomy, because did you, you didn't do any team sports, you just boxing your whole life? Yeah, I mean, I did a handful of team sports, like basketball and, and football, um, played hockey when I was younger, so I understand that dynamic, but you're exactly right. I think ultimately, with certain sports and just things in life in general, if you're competing against a guy who's willing to die and you're not, you're never going to win that and you're misleveraged. And I got to a point where I started having a lot of autoimmune issues, a lot of like injuries, pain that made me doubt myself. And so towards the end of my career, I wasn't willing to die. Yep. I was more concerned about getting hurt than losing. And that was a big flip because in the middle of my career, I was a monster. So I was more concerned about losing than getting hurt. And I was I was mislevered, I, I guess towards the end, and that's when you know you got to get out. Okay. I'm glad I did, especially yes. in fighting, because you're going to take like Too much it damage. could be one one bad fight, and you're just you're going to have lifelong repercussions. Which yeah, is crazy. and that was really tough for me because I mean we were almost 
after that, I was struggling with retiring or not because at that point, I'm fighting for titles, like yeah. making great money. I'm I work so hard to get to this point, and here I am. You know, we had an offer on the table to fight Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. right after. Really? Yeah, that fight got really close, and I ended up saying no to it because I was just like, I know if I go down that route, I'm gonna have five more fights, and they're gonna be big, and who knows what will happen to my brain? And like, I want to play with my kids one day, you know, and my grandkids, and so. It's extremely tough, um, but I'm I'm confident I made the right decision. Yeah, no man, that's huge. Who's the guy? Um, what was your favorite like training techniques? Because you're you're busting. Uh, so we for all of us that don't know, I keep referencing the dinner. We have this little fun guys dinner. Mike just got inducted into it last night, um, and one of our as well as the bill as well as the bill. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, hey, come to this dinner. And then apparently right at the end, they're like, oh, new guy pays. I'm like, all Which right. is true, which is true. But not, left that out of the group chat. It's the MLM. <laughs> yeah, the, the message didn't send. I don't know what yeah. happened. There. Yeah, I'm about to hit up like 10 yeah. buddies and be like, yo, basically get like free meals. It's, a, the it's, a, yeah, it's our it's great. inner MLM. Yeah, it's, it's I love exciting. it. Um, but did you have any favorites? Is like the speed bag. You said you like sparring a lot or like hands, like doing combinations and stuff. What was your, what was your jam? Yeah, I mean, um, I got big at swimming at the end. I yep. felt like that was really good. Um, you know, the assault bike, which is the fan bike, yep. I think is really cool because when you go hard on that, your legs give out. And it's very similar to like when you get hit with a punch and you're kind of like wobbly. Yeah. So what we would do is go hard on the assault bike, get off, and then start shadow boxing just to kind of simulate that. Um, obviously, sparring is the, the best and only way you're really going to learn how to fight. Do you spar with headgear? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we always spar with headgear and we spar with heavier gloves. Okay, idea, even more padding. Yeah, because the idea is, like, you don't want to get cuts yep. and you really want to minimize damage yep. while also, like, performing at the same level. Yep. Um, but, yeah, sparring can take a lot out of you, too, right? And you're still getting hit even though you have headgear. So it, it's much more than just the fights. Actually, to be honest, more of the damage probably comes from sparring so, sessions. Uh, a lot of there is a big shift in the UFC from that as well because yeah. it is more so, like, all oh, the hard spars are always the best fighters, and it wasn't necessarily that. It was just a bit of a survivorship bias. It was like these were the dudes that lasted and could take the damage, and then actually, but like it was really talented people that took different paths towards training that did phenomenal. And it was, uh, yeah. And you get guys that were phenomenal in the gym, and then on fight night they couldn't perform. Dude, it was so crazy. We had the same thing with uh, running. It was so in practice they crush it dude there was a guy that um so i did track as well and um so for people that don't know track the only reason i'm giving you this visualization is because it, it'll make more sense there's a uh, 100 race and a 200 race 100 is in a straight line and a 200 because a, a track's a quarter mile so 400 meters a 200 ha it's almost like a j it has a curve it has two turns on it right this dude could run the turn and the four by one faster sorry i said 200 the so the four by one is four links anyways too long didn't basically this dude would run faster times on the turn because he was on a team and didn't have the pressure then he could run on straightaways like by itself which was like it was impossible and so it's just so interesting to me where there's a there's a real real mental component to all this it's a yeah. real one and i i'm super grateful for it because it's taught me so much when it comes to now being an entrepreneur, yeah. now speaking, now just handling life. Like I spent over a decade literally getting punched in the face yeah. and getting knocked down and getting back up and just learning about resiliency on another level. And I think it's really helped me when I think about like risk and I think about performance and work ethic. And so no matter what, I, I, th I think the sports, especially at a young age is incredibly valuable. They can teach you so many skills. Dude, I couldn't agree with you more. I think the only thing that I would push back on sports with, or not push back, but the caveat where um, there is a very militaristic mindset, right? Like coach knows best, do what the coach says, which is totally fine. The camaraderie is great, but that that only this is the best way is something that as you get older, you want to be a little bit wary about and kind of be able to explore. But I couldn't agree with you more. Sports are huge, man. I, yeah. I got so much. And there's also a certain vector of, dude, the devil loves idle hands. Like I was such a little shit, but like I was so busy all the time. It was like impossible to get in trouble or I was just so tired because I'm I get up and run, go to school, run after school, work out in the middle of the day. Like 
was just so tired. I didn't have any time to get in trouble. And like, yeah. I definitely would have gotten in trouble. You know, shit. And I still even did get in trouble, but it was at lower magnitude. A little bit less, yeah. Um, okay, so now MSG, you put the gloves down. Now what? Yeah, well, I mentioned earlier I was dealing with a lot of autoimmune issues. Yep. Um, what for people that don't know? Can you give like a too long didn't read or just like a, explain like your five what autoimmune is? Yeah, well, autoimmunity is essentially. Yes, I'm having my second GB. Don't judge me. Yeah, that's actually a white claw. Uh, for those <laughs> that's for those li- yeah, for those listening, and not <laughs> with a GB sleeve. Yeah, um, it's a four loco. <laughs> <laughs> they still make those. I, I don't Can we get some four logos. Oh, yeah. Kevin, Kevin, okay, <laughs> Kevin. Can we postmate it? Oh, DoorDash. Was yeah, crazy. let's turn up. Um, we'll turn to drink champs here. Yeah, uh, I forgot completely what the question was. Uh, I'll, I'll play around with the digression. I'll bring us back. Oh, the autoimmunity. Auto- there we go. I'm back. But do there you we go. should do like some drunk D to C history or something oh, like that. Dude. Drunk history is oh. hilarious. And I dude. love it. That's I love so drunk funny. history. Like, they need to bring that back. Is that still? I, I haven't seen you as, but it was so funny. You might as well, man, because this isn't live. It's like good, if I were right? you, I'd get a bunch of four locos in here and just get a bunch get of big founders thing. drunk and just see what comes out. That's a good idea. You know? Yeah. That's a I don't know. Idea. Yeah. There you go. I'll co-host that podcast. Yeah, dude. You go in? We just need a good name. That's all we need. When you're back from Europe, we're gonna get it started. We'll recreate this yeah. little situation. Um, and I'll have your four locos. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, like a lot of people that deal with autoimmune, issues, autoimmune essentially is uh, a class of different diseases and conditions where essentially your immune system is overactive. So. Okay. It's attacking itself. It's attacking healthy cells. Got it. So got it. Got it. Got it. Usually, what a lot of the traditional route is is you know whether it's a TNF blocker or just other modalities are um, suppressing the immune system to kind of like calm it down. But I was diagnosed with um, a couple different autoimmune diseases, and whether or not boxing caused it, I don't know. They don't know. I had some genes like HLA-B27 and a handful of others that were indicators. But it, it really is just like I was in so much fight or flight, and it was constantly putting Humpty Dumpty back together again. Yeah, I mean, overtrain. So I used to be really, really overtrained. Yeah. I used to be really, really into CrossFit, and this was a really common thing in CrossFit all the time. Where you like these people look impeccably healthy, but inside they're falling apart because they were just so just chasing the dragon. Like the, the yeah. next workout, the next workout, they're doing two a days, and you're doing all these things where it's like it's great, but there's a certain aspect of like. It breaks everything, right? Because the, the the fight or flight stuff, the the other crazy thing that the um, Ben shut up Ben House Ben House was uh, harping on when he does his presentations is you can only make sex hormones or stress hormones at, at once. Like you can't make both at the same time. And really? so yeah, so like what would happen because these CrossFitters are overtrained? These are like these Greek goddesses or Greek goddesses. They look fantastic, and then they never horny. No, no sex drive. No sex drive wow. because they're they're just constantly in the fight state of like. They're just uh, constantly just, they can't get into the, uh, is it parasympathetic? parasympathetic yeah, they can't, yeah, they can't turn down. They're yeah. just constantly, and you get into kind of what you're talking about, either lifestyle effects or like the machinery actually starts breaking. Yeah, that's what it started doing for me. So, um, you know, at one point I was on eight different medications. Holy smokes. It was really bad. I had almost two years out of the ring. I didn't even know if I'd fight again. It was a dark time for me and I ended up, slowly but surely getting off of those medications and learning about different all natural modalities like everything from breath work to meditation to changing up my diet to hot cold contrast infrared it it, i go on and on but you know there was never one cbd being a huge part of it and why i started soul cbd with my sister um, but it, there was never one thing. It was always different pieces to the puzzle. Yeah. And so for me, I became obsessed with like, how do I get better without just taking another painkiller or yeah. taking another thing that has no uh, longevity for me or, or could be dangerous or have side effects. So um, yeah, it really opened up my my mind and world to functional medicine, yeah. which kind of takes a little more holistic approach. Yep. And it's, it's how it's the birth and genesis of the company because ultimately what I want the rest of my life to be about now is helping others get out of pain. Oh, I really that. do. When you've experienced as much pain as I've experienced, I think you you want to help people get out of that pain because you can empathize with them. Mm-hmm. You can, it resonates so much. So for me, when we get testimonials that come in or when I'm able to speak to people or, or help them in any little way, and listen, I haven't figured it all out. Like True. I'm still in the fight too, 
but I'm so much better than when I where I was when I was in hospital beds. And so for me, it's inspiring and kind of like a, a new purpose in life post boxing. That's beautiful, man. Yeah. So tell us more about Soul CBD. What do you, what do you guys sell? What uh, like yeah? Give us the story there. Yeah, man. So we started the company a little over four years ago. Holy smoke! You guys are only four years old. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, let's go. Actually, to be honest, um, I really only took it on about three years ago, maybe even two and a half. We started the company, had a couple operators helping us run it, but it wasn't until I retired that I fully took it on. So, um, you know, it's tough in the CBD world with compliance and everything, but we basically, we sell all natural solutions for anxiety, sleep, and pain. So we have uh, CBD gummies that have cbd cbn melatonin best tasting um, on the planet yeah our gummy i will say flavor like, profiles are unrivaled everybody yeah, yeah, yeah we worked really hard on that um so we have oil drops um we have doctors on our you know advisory board we have a whole doctor line um that's different supplements for like thyroid hormone gut yeah. so we're expanding now outside of just cbd and I we're just going to be that. known as soul so we're chopping oh, off the cbd wow. And we're going to be a wellness company. So later this year, we're paying out. Take off the the Yeah, yeah exactly. It's the, yeah. The CBD. That's, that's awesome. So it gives us more optionality. And I want to play in different fields of wellness. And also we get into the, the weeds of like compliance and, and running uh, paid. It's so much easier as a wellness company versus yep. being CBD. Yep. So um, I, I just, I want to offer solutions to people that could have CBD or not. It depends. But first let's identify the pain point and what's the best modality what's the best uh, product that we can put in that pain point that's beautiful how'd you land on soul what why is it called soul that's a great question and now that i think about it as much as i love soul and it means so much to me i wish i chose a less uh well-known name yeah yeah. because you think about like seo (laughs) main and trademarks and all that we were going back and forth, my sister and I, and we were on a walk. I was living in LA at the time, and we were going back and forth on all these names and checking out uh, the trademarks and what worked, what didn't work. And she was like, what about soul? Like it's, it feeds your soul, right? Yeah. It nourishes your soul. And we just felt like it had this like holistic, good vibe. Um, obviously soul cycle is huge. And, and the word soul just generally has a positive connotation to it. Yeah. So we went with it, obviously, now the lawyers and trademark and the you know the higher ups have said that was probably a poor decision but <laughs> here we are here we are yeah. well would you ever rebrand because your your logo isn't um so the reason i ask this is because uh, a really good buddy of mine runs outweigh socks and they used to be oh my gosh i'm gonna figure what they, he's done such a good job with outweigh under something anyways it was the same thing but they kind of did the same thing where their their moniker w- actually has like a U in it just naturally, oh. and so it just ended up working out for him that everything and he he pivoted into Outway, which is they're they're awesome. I have some on right now. I think there's some pros and cons to that. Um, we do definitely have a great brand identity, and you guys and, do. That's the problem, right? But we have such a sticky brand, yeah. So I don't want to do that. We, I mean, we are technically going through rebrand of from Soul CBD to just Soul Fair Play, a yeah. wellness company, right? Yeah. Soul Wellness. Um, so. For us, that's kind of the rebrand, uh, changing the URL. We're now getsoul.com versus mysoulcbd.com, which was clunky and long. Yeah. So um, that kind of is the rebrand. But yeah, in hindsight, it would have been a much easier four years ago before we even started this. So we kind of chose a random name for SEO and whatnot. But here we are. It's Everything, it's yeah. Everything, I don't know. I'm not a big namer. I think my only big requirement for a name is it just can't suck. And even then, it still works out. Like Xerox, what a terrible name! <laughs> they they built a bazillion dollar company. Like, and so, I don't know. Um, so you get your gummy lines. This is quite annoying. Any about about this expansion and stuff like that. So for CBD though, as you alluded to, tons of headwinds on paid. Mm-hmm. So what are you guys doing in terms of acquisition? Because you you guys are doing numbers. So like, yeah. how, how are you getting people in? I know you're really. Oh, and uh, after that question, I gotta make sure to plan a flag. You guys did the crazy. Um, refund thing that I really, really want to talk about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. cool. So for us, we were lucky. We, we thought about really, we did it, I would say the hard way or a different route of building a brand instead of going, which a lot of CBD brands do the affiliate route, right. Publishers, old right. school affiliate, um, different lead magnets like that. And as well as, you know, SEO, really. yeah. we went brand community influencer first because I love language. 
we started the brand with my sister who has a big following, a big podcast, yeah. and then myself, but it was really her that was the engine that drove it. So for the first year and a half, maybe even two years, we didn't spend a single dollar on a paid ad. Cheap we we said that. community first, brand second. For Angie, it was like, how do we create these affiliates that are already in her network? Because she was already in health and wellness yeah. and doing these big events and shows. So we had 25 to 50 of these like brand evangelists yeah. that absolutely loved us, that we took care of, that then spread the mission. So our base and foundation that we started with was so strong that it ended up helping. And so our conversion rate, our LTV, uh, our customer return rate, all those numbers are so sticky. And so for us, we're like, all right, let's lay that foundation and then we can build up because when we started the company, it was like a little side hustle. Yeah. Like I said, I was still had my career, Angie and her mm -hmm. career. We didn't even know it kind of take off to what it is and we still have a long way to go, but um, community first, brand second is kind of where we, where we landed. And now we're, as we need to scale more and more, we're now diving more into SEO, affiliate, yeah. other world, which uh, I think is not as easy as as building a, a sticky brand nowadays that people really like resonate with. I couldn't agree with you more, man. And I think there is a certain aspect of like levers and knob turnings. I think with community, with brand, with this emotional connection, you actually, I think it's the better play, especially like, essentially like content because my big like and it's funny because we do a lot of attribution for paid but my big pushback on paid is those once those impressions are served like that money's kind of essentially spent mm -hmm. where it's like when you do a podcast like this or when you do all these things like those can live on in perpetuity and just be almost like a money machine that like oh my gosh your youtube video is starting to get uh recommended to people blah 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 and they bring you down this pathway the other thing I really love that you guys do, and this is a shout out Chris Hall at Bruce Bolt, was um, there's this term of like content to commerce. I think you guys are doing that in such a really cool way. Because at the end of the day, for me, like definitely you guys are efficacious and it works. But like a lot of the the kind of supplement brands are essentially like a lifestyle, like feed your soul, like live healthier, be happier, all these things. Here's some modalities to either get you faster down that path or sustain that path that you're on. But at the end of the day, it's a lifestyle play that you're selling, right? It's like be, and so I think that you guys really nailed it with that because it's such a, it's such a potent combination of somebody legitimately wanting to help you, somebody that has been in the dark places, and then somebody that found a solution that kind of wants to spread to other people. I think, I mean, especially when it's sincere, right? Like that's the other thing. Like the, the that's the challenge of it. Like it has to be sincere, and you have to be willing to. I don't want to say is take a short-term loss because that makes it transactional, but you have to be willing to, you know, take flyers and say like, I'm going to, I'm going to just do this because I want to help people and I want people to have this connection with the brand and there's nothing I want in return. Yeah. And I think that sometimes is, uh, is hard to do. But speaking of returns, look at this segue, people, am I a pro? Am I a pro? You guys did something really cool, right? Yeah. Yeah. So talk about this because well, it blew my mind, but like it, it, it's very aligned kind of with your ethos of right, like community and brand like this. Yeah. With those two North stars, this makes tons of sense. We do a lot of things like when you first come on the website, we have a video that pops up of me and Angie and it kind of takes you through a different story mode of you get to choose your story, choose your journey and, you know, select different options. And our founders video, Angie's constantly hopping in the DMs. Yeah. I'm on Instagram live. We're constantly trying to like have that touch point without making the brand too much about us. Sure. Just making people feel comfortable because CBD is an education play and it's a mm -hmm. trust play yeah. more than anything, uh, especially being quote unquote somewhat new category or just yeah. an unknown category. But this refund day, I got to give credit where credit's due. Um, initially, our friend Kaylee Clark with ClearStem, okay. uh, it's a skincare brand, uh, gave us this idea. And for us, it was perfect considering community first, brand second. But we are doing uh, refund days. And so we've done a couple of them. They've been wildly successful. Essentially what we do is Angie and I hop on IG live yeah. and during a sale, we're like, you know, we, we let the audience know with an email 24 hours before and on social, but we're going live for an hour, an hour and a half and hop on live, give us your order number of what you ordered and we'll completely refund you. So Dude, and people love it. It's so cool. We've had people made big orders and we chose them i'm talking like we were fun like 300 order, then we were fun like an 80 order and like my the 
the conservative side of me is always like, <laughs> oh God, this order, like how bad is it? We've had some big ones, but it the pro outweighs the cons in terms of the money, money in and money out. Um, and it builds this sense of community and loyalty because n- no one really does that. And it's kind of oh. cool. Like a big brand's never going to do that. Yes. You know, so it's literally like getting that interaction with people. And it's so, it's such a cool feeling too, to be like, thank you for trusting in us and ordering us for, from us. And here's all your money back so and you still get the product so good and then they respond in such an amazing way oh my god this made my day this made my month like you know i'm going to tell my friends so yeah it's, it's been a really cool thing that we're continuing to do every single month and i really really love what you said there was that a big brand will never do this and i think that's one of the things of like startups is like don't play games you can't win amen and so like being able to compete in these kind of like orthogonal ways that you know this the it's essentially almost like a little bit of disruption theory where you know that there's no way that this big brand is either A, going to think of this, or B, be able to push it through all the red tape to get it done. And you can you can just text Angie like, hey, what do you think about a refund day? Perfect. Email goes out and boom, within yeah. 24 hours, you're executing on the concept. And so being that speedboat, you know, obviously you don't have the resources of a tanker, but being that speedboat is, is in itself an advantage instead of being this tanker that takes... Mm-hmm. three days to turn direction weeks to turn a direction versus like you guys can pivot i love that man that's a yeah. really smart way to approach it yeah it's definitely a move fast and break things you know in the beginning i always had comparison syndrome and i'd be like yep. you know charlotte's web is the 800 pound gorilla and it, for me it's like why can't we do this why can't we do but if you're not funded like that or you're not built like that it's like all right well what are we good at and what can't they do? So well. and let's let's really the same thing with boxing, man. Yeah, dude, I'd be had to. You'd have to be dead honest and fighting of like, what am I good at? Who am I? And who's my opponent? And I knew like, okay, if I'm gonna win this fight, I have to do this. And in order to do that, you do have to put down your ego. You really have to say like, what am I not good at? Because styles make fights, and basically what that means is like, I need to figure out and impose my will and play that chess match. But if I'm constantly, if I have a plan of something that I'm not good at and I'm trying to execute a part of my game I'm not good at because my ego is telling me that, I'm going to lose that fight. So, yeah. And, uh, again, sorry to keep hammering you guys with the UFCs. There's a big pay-per-view coming on this weekend, so it's top of mind. But to your point of, like, styles make fights, there's also a corollary there of, like, courses for courses. But the style that makes fights, you can see sometimes where um, there will be a strong wrestler against a really strong striker mm. and the strong striker will kind of play to that ego of like why don't you want to just stand and hit me quit hugging me dude and then you see this guy get out of his area of specialty and then like it's either an even match or not because they're not leaning in their strengths i think one of the worst pieces of advice out there is like make your weaknesses your strengths i think it's hard i think you should make your strengths 10x and make your weaknesses either up to the point where they're not existential risks or higher out to fill those weaknesses. I, I yeah, think that agreed. people are are really capable in certain ways and like lean into that genius. Like if you don't like something and you're not good at it, like I have this theory of uh, essentially like skill capabilities or skill acquisition, if you can say like you do the thing because you did the thing, you get like a reward because you got a reward. You feel better about yourself because you feel better about yourself. You want to do the thing again. And so like if you're doing something that isn't pleasurable to you and you don't feel like you're getting any sort of skill set from it or accomplishment to do the thing even better, then you quit. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's any kind of change has to be pleasurable. It has to be to for it to be sustainable. You have to want to do it over and over again. And that's what. I've found is a skill that I'm really lacking, but the people that have that delayed gratification to be able to do the thing and not need that um, really instant gratification, those are the people that I know can really move mountains because there's so many failures in between their next checkpoint, but it doesn't matter to them where certain people, when you get started, you really need this like positive affirmations right at the beginning or not you quit. Yeah. Yeah. I think you got to have like a North star, like a goal. Like for me, I keep going to the boxing analogy because it's my world, but, you know, understanding where you want to get to. And then, like you said, knowing that like all the failures in between is fine because you're ultimately going for this, this goal. And so I think that ideology has kind of served me as well. So with my new little role shift and stuff like that, I've been getting back into like mindfulness. I used to, I went like five years meditating like daily. Like it was really wow. actually helpful for me. Um, and like, I finally got back in it. And one of the things that, 
there's a, a, a great book by Tishnat Han uh, called Miracle Mindfulness, super easy read. But there's a line in there about washing dishes just to wash the dishes. And one of my big regrets at Triple when I was CMO was we did so many cool things. Like we threw a, a reality TV show. We had the Whaley's. We had all these like really fun things. I never really enjoyed it because I was always, I, I wasn't washing the dishes to wash the dishes. I was washing the dishes to get them clean so I could watch TV and then I could do the next. And I was always living the future. It sounds like you're, you really figured out how to enjoy life. Like what was the, because did you, did you suffer from that when you were in boxing where you're just always looking for the next thing or you were able to really enjoy the present? No, I think there's there's always that part of me that that'll have that in me, and I think it's a blessing in a sense because it makes you want to keep working harder and yep. harder. But it's really after boxing that I've kind of taken step backs and and try to like celebrate little wins. Yeah, that's right? another thing I did not do. Well. Yeah, so that that's been and even with our company, you know, we try to celebrate little wins, and even my employees like. Every single birthday, every single little win that they have, I'm always sending them gifts. Um, we're, we're a family. So I do think that's important because um, what happened to me is I didn't have that mindset in boxing. When I got to where the point I was supposed to be happy, world title fight, MGM Grand, your face all over the casino, I couldn't have been more miserable, dude. It's crazy. And I was like, what the f*** is all this work for? The dog catches the car. It was really rough. Okay. Now what? Like I had a few yeah. of those moments where I'm like, dude, I'm really, really doing everything I want, and I'm still like not not satisfied, not happy. Like, and I do understand like there is that's why I'm not like full on Buddhist where I don't want to go live in a cave for months. But there is a certain tension between because yes. like what you're saying, like the ego as well. Like, dude, my ego has gotten me to where I'm at, but it's right. also can be really destructive if you become like if my identity was the triple whale CMO which it was a real long time, can like I'm still kind of working through things, obviously still at the company, but like the, the, that identity shattering is, is something that's so, if you can get through it, useful because now you can start to, uh, Charlie Munger has a great line of like an internal clock or like if you go into the um, like academics, it's called like an internal and external control or locus where like, doing things that like really fire you up inside versus like looking for that external validation. Cause if you're in the latter, yeah, it, it's just the grass is always greener yeah. or that's at least what I've found. No, I'm, I'm with you. I think even when I think of like working out, I, I only do things now that I really enjoy pickleball when I was yeah. living in California, surf, um, you know, things that are fun to me yeah. versus like feeling obligated to do it. And I think you're never going to create like good habits Unless you're like really fired up about it. Yeah. You know. What kind of tips or tricks or advice would you give to Mike just starting out in his entrepreneurship career? <laughs> um, it don't well, don't be so hard on yourself. I think comparison syndrome for myself was was big, stepping into a new new uh new spot. Um also how important a good hire is. Yeah. Oh, so well. Played. And when was your first hire? When to know? Actually, our our first hire, um, it was is our current COO. Let's go. So you awesome. that one. We nailed it. it. Jeff's an amazing guy. He's now part of the company. He's he's um in so many ways, and he went from you know me just hiring someone on the side like hourly to all the way to our COO, and Gangster. it's been phenomenal. Um, he's become like family, but it. Ultimately, I think not letting go of certain employees, um, not because I didn't like them, but because they weren't the right fit. Yeah. I'm very empathetic, so I think I let some people on stay longer than they needed to. Yeah. But I'm just realizing that, like, it's your team, dude. It's it's your hire. It's your it's your hires. It's your culture, and that's what I wish I knew early on. I tell myself like, invest more and make those hard decisions of the right hires because. It's so much harder to let someone go, right? And then deal with that aftermath. Um, so it took me a long time to get to that spot, but now I'm really confident. We have a pretty rock solid team. Yeah, that's great advice, man. Hiring so hard. Hiring is so, is so hard. And then to your point of um, really getting lost in the sauce sometimes with scale or you just made the wrong the wrong hire, it's, it's, it's just so much easier to kind of, rip that bandaid off, here's some severance or something, or like, you know, this this just yeah. doesn't match. Because 
The other thing is, and thankfully we never had this at Triple, but it just takes kind of like one weirdo at the party yeah. to ruin the whole culture. Sure. Or subsume it. And you're just like, oh my gosh, I can so like, you know, all these processes now have to change because this one person or all the like, and it, it's almost that thing when you're at, you're at a party, right? And everybody's vibing and that one person comes and like the record stops like, and just the whole aura of everything changes, I think is really like, I hired mostly on vibes, man. I was like, obviously there need to be like uh, a requisite skill set that I know this person could sure. do, but especially when you're hiring higher skilled people, it's like, don't tell them how to do things. Tell them what you need and let, here's a spirit go hunt. Like, yeah. I, I always hated uh, telling people how to do stuff. It's like, that's what the money's for. And it sounds corny, but I think listening to my gut more, like not that I'm always right, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to regret it if I listen to my gut. Yeah. And the times when I haven't made good decisions on personnel or in the business is when I haven't listened to my gut. And like you said, you hire on vibes, dude. Like, that's it. There's there's a, a saying, like, when somebody tells you who they are, listen. And so yeah. I only had a few times in my life where you want something to be true so bad that, like, there's a, another little line where the reason you left in the end were the things you overlooked in the beginning, mm-hmm. where it's like you you it was there but you're like oh it's oh that's just a quirk or they're not going to do it again or whatever and then it just like yeah but you're you're absolutely right and the other thing too and to be fair like there have been some really really smart people that i've worked with that i really couldn't stand and so what i would do with them is essentially like keep them almost like a lawyer or a finance person like get away from the core business but they were so good as sure. lone wolf operators it's like just keep them as a contractor just feed them stuff and then but like keep away from the home you know the core yeah. people so yeah Sometimes you, there's there's some caveats there, but definitely uh, you have to be either be awesome, on time, or likable. If you have two of the three, you're going to be okay. But if you miss, if you're only like one of the three, you really have to do incredible work. Because if not, it's just like, what's the point? Like I'm, I don't want to put up with you. Another thing I learned and kind of wish I knew early on is that EQ, emotional intelligence, to me is so much more important than your resume, and people overpay people that have big egos that don't have the right eq and dude give me someone who's young hungry and wants it and i'd rather have that person than the person with higher resume bigger resume dude i couldn't agree with you more to be fair i think it matters at what stage you are in your company for sure and in which position i know it's a big position but no no no, i agree with that generalization to be fair i just want to caveat that because um one of the challenges when you're running startups people have this amazing pedigree but they're so used to like processes, structures, all these things that's like when you're still at the generalist phase where you just want to have like proper emotional EQ, higher vibe and kind of grow your team into what it is. It's amazing. And you bring in this killer and then they just die because they're just not used to, they're used to living in a zoo where everything's provided for them versus living out in the wild where they got to go hunt. Yeah, And I, uh, I think that was something we did um, at the beginning um, where we, we, we went through this super uh, early on, went through this big hiring spurt and we got all these incredible people, but it was just really hard to generate productivity out of them because we were still figuring out who we were. Like, yeah. and, and these people are like, well, I need this, I need this, I need this. And you're just like, dude, send the email. You know what I mean? You don't need a copywriter. You don't need this. Like, write the headline, write the copy, yeah, get it yeah. done. Well, well, I need the copywriter. Well, I need this email service to do this. I need this proofreading service to this. Right. And again, it's not right or wrong. It's just that mismatch of, when somebody has that incredible pedigree from these big, big companies, you got to remember there's so many like processes and stuff yeah. that they're coming from that they're not, they're, they're in that kind of more specialist role where, um, a lot of times until you hit some certain inflection points, a generalist is really the pathway at, yeah. at startups, whether you can kind of have them mold into what you need or something like that. Anyway, yeah. I'm kind of rambling on here. Tell me more about your expansion line. How'd you guys decide into, here's a little zinger for you as well. Great podcast called, uh, Founders. Um, and he had a line on there, um, how many companies, and I think this is like five or seven years old, so it's not like super recent, but it's still like a bunch of data. How many companies do you think make more money from their second like act versus their primary, like what they launched with? Does that make sense what I'm saying? Sure. Well, I guess, how do you define second act though? What do you mean? Like I said, like you. So for like a rebrand or they're... not necessarily rebrand, like a second, yeah, a second product line launch of like, like, oh, so if you yeah, launch yeah. more CBDs, that doesn't really mean anything yeah. to me, but like now you're going to go into supplements right. you're talking about. Now you have right. your oil tinctures. Yeah. I have all these things. How many, what percentage of companies do you think made m- more money? 
Well, just second. the way you tee that up, I'm I'm thinking it's like eighty percent. Ah, you like killed, you stole my little thunder. No, it's only fifty, but it was still okay. blowing, it still blew my mind. Like That's a thing. lot. That's Half hot. of the companies that got to the show with X make yeah. all their money from Y. Wow, that that's a for this is a Fortune 100 uh, uh, data set too. So these yeah, are massive companies. So like that that blew my mind. You have to pivot. I mean, even if you are one of those big companies, you have to have uh, enough emotional intelligence uh, and as little ego as possible to understand that we got to pivot. That I was wrong, yeah. you know. And so, and I'm not saying I was wrong to go the CBD route. I just think for us, why we pivoted. One of the main reasons is compliance in terms of like. Totally. Facebook, Google, Amazon, totally. all these verticals that we either have trouble getting on, yep. can't get on, yep. or have to tailor how we operate in it. It's not very scalable. Yep. So for us, expanding the wellness line just makes sense because it's a new customer acquisition tool for us. And yep. We can play in some other areas that we normally couldn't play Love that. to bring them into ultimately what is our high margin products, which yep. is CBD in general. Um, and plus, it's just exciting for me to offer different types of products to different people with different ailments, right? If they come to us now and they know and trust us as a wellness brand in terms of we're double third-party lab testing, we use like the strictest guidelines with organic ingredients and the whole nine, they're like, all right, well, if I have an issue with my gut, I'm going to try out Soul. Like I trusted them for anxiety and sleep. Let me trust them for some other pain categories. So that's really the the um, strategy and the vision for this uh, rebrand. That's beautiful, man. I love it. Uh, you want to jump into some quick rapid fire? Ooh, rap! Yeah, let's go. Okay. Rapid fire. All right, here we go. Uh, Instagram overrated, underrated? Overrated. Really? You guys are big on there. You do so much work on there. Overrated. I love it. I mean, when the fir- I didn't think of the brand at all when you first said that. No, no it was, I, I, it, it was wasn't. Rapid, it it wasn't through the lens of yeah, in general. Yeah. It wasn't through the lens of the brand. I was just saying, commenting because Angie, massive following. You got yeah. leveraged Instagram Live, one of the best brands I've seen leverage it. So it's funny that you you think Dude, it's overrated. The older I get, the more and more I hate social media, I and I think it's important. And and Angie and I need to be a part of it to be a part of the brand and have that Shout connection out. and learn. But I find myself in periods consuming more than I'm creating. And it just is like, it's it's a mental death trap, man. Social media is the worst, let's be honest. So it can be it can be great. It can be incredible. It really can help people. But I just think the majority of it is kind of toxic, especially to young kids. Um, especially young women. Young women. Yeah, yeah 100%. Your image stuff. Because men's, men's self-worth. Yeah, men's coping mechanism is usually physical, right? Like, like yeah. you versus like women, it's like social where they'll go around and spread lies or rumors and now we just yeah. get these gals a nuclear weapon essentially with instagram and so yeah no i don't know i i will tell you what the instagram ads are amazing i do some, hell yeah i do i get god on shopping all the time yeah no it's it they're so good but uh we do now i'm with you i think it's uh yeah i don't i wouldn't go as far as overrated but i like it this is your show so i, I <laughs> we'll go overrated um youtube overrated underrated underrated Ooh, i love that why i love youtube is i think obviously Google, um, it's an incredible just SEO tool. Yeah. Second biggest search engine behind Google proper. Exactly. And I think TikTok, we'll see what happens with the US, but TikTok is slowly starting to take over, which is pretty wild that young kids are using uh, search in TikTok. But regardless, yeah, I, I love the medium of YouTube because similar to podcasts, you can have long form and then they also have shorts and it's just huge for SEO. And for me, for the most part, like if I'm trying to learn about something, I'm going to Google and I'm yeah. checking out do-it-yourself videos or God knows I spent hours on YouTube videos with autoimmune stuff of like, well, work for some people, learning, researching. So it's pretty incredible now. Yeah, I'd say underrated. I think it's got a, a long way to go. I love that. Um, if you have a fighter, if you have a UFC fighter and a boxer, who wins the boxing match? And then vice versa, who wins the UFC match? Two different sports. Yeah. And then there's always people that talk about that. Um, when I was fighting, I would spar UFC guys. I had a bunch of buddies, big fighters, you know, Just uh, world champions that were that I would trade with. If it was boxing, yeah, it's because it's my modality. Yeah. The UFC, you've got eight different things you got to worry about, right? On so top of takedowns. On top of the end. Yeah, so they're psycho like, and all that stuff. So I give credit where credit's due, man. I think it, the striking game in UFC has definitely gotten a lot better. I think five, ten years ago, it was really not good. But now these guys are actually good boxers. But yeah, 
you know, you throw the best striker in UFC against a top 10 boxer and he's going to lose. But you throw that boxer in the octagon. Same, same, right? Same, same thing. He's going to get demolished. So that's fair play. Two different sports. Yeah, no, I love that answer. That's fantastic. Um, Favorite place you've surfed? Great question. Um, So Hawaii. During COVID, uh, my girlfriend and I were living in Hawaii for three months. Yeah. Just did the whole remote thing. We were up in Oahu in the North Shore. Yeah. Um, so I'd say there or El Salvador. Ooh. I'm obsessed with El Salvador. There's an area called El, El Zante, which is one of the best waves, I think, in the world. And uh, God, I've been there like three, four times now. So maybe maybe El Salvador at the we, top of the we list. got to get you out to Costa Rica as well. There's a, where my buddy's at, like an hour away from there. It's like one of the most famous breaks. I think it's like the longest left breaking wave or whatever. It's yeah. Supposed to be cool. It's supposed to be beautiful. I doubt Oh, I forgot to ask this in the main segment. What's the nicest thing someone's ever done for you? Wow. This gets uh, everybody. I love it. It's my, one of my favorite questions. What's the nicest thing someone's ever done for me? Um, I'm having trouble bringing anything to mind. I mean, the first thing I thought of was just like my parents in terms of um, my parents worked really hard. They both grew up in inner city Chicago. My dad didn't even graduate high school. He, they both like worked really hard to give us lives that, uh, that they never had. Yeah. So, uh, from a holistic thing. Yeah. But that's so interesting. I, I need to, what about you? What, what's the answer for you? Uh, probably my parents, man, it's the kind of cop out, but I had the, the immigrant dad. So like this uh, dad was very like hard on me, but like loved me, you know, yeah. but he was yeah. like, dude, you only like my name in Arabic means winner. Like you only win. Like it was, wow. and I had that, and then that was counterbalanced. Like my mom was this amazing, like right brain, like Mexican woman that taught me like, you know, be you being unique. Isn't a bug. It's a feature, like do what makes you happy. And so there was this nice balance of like, I can take criticism really well, but I also, um, can see the forest for the trees of like, Hey, you know, like you don't need to like spend some of your money. Like what's the money for But at the same time, like you don't want to be, you know, crazy, crazy, but at the same time, there's that spectrum. And so I think that I'm probably most thankful for that where my, my parents probably the nicest thing they did for me was raise me in the way that they did where, um, like we were lower middle class, but I never felt poor and it was just, it was great. Like, uh, yeah, I wouldn't trade my childhood for anything. High school was awesome. Like all these things. And a lot of it was, uh, yeah, my, my dad helping me, um, really like not be soft. <laughs> there was a bit of probably like over indexing there. Like he got kicked off our like youth soccer team. Cause he was just like, these are like eight, nine year old kids. Like you suck. Like, yeah, just like really yeah, going in on, yeah. but like our dads would get along. Right? <laughs> so like there was this kind of like two things you win or you win. <laughs> yeah. That was it. Exactly. So, <laughs> they should co-author a parenting book. <laughs> yeah. Get him on the phone. Yeah. Uh, so that's that was for me probably the the answer I'd give it. I think that my upbringing is probably the just super, especially when you start to um, there's that kind of crazy thing where like you think your life is bad and you're like, dude, if everybody threw their problems into the bowl, you'd probably reach in that bowl real quick and grab your problems because you know, yeah. there is there's some people do, you know working through some things and so I yeah. I never like not to make it about me but just a small digression like my grandparents on my dad's side couldn't read it right. Wow. I knew like he was, he's from this like little podunk town out of Algiers called Tenia where literally my grandpa was like a goat shepherd. And there's like this little Ray Hill compound and people, when I went to visit when I was eight or nine, there was no running water there, like barely electricity. And so for this man to know that the path out of poverty was education. And so my dad still has a little bit of guilt from this because my dad's the oldest and they had to basically take money away to feed some of the family be- to he got into this really prestigious technical school um and they had to have uniforms and so like some of his like siblings wouldn't eat because he had to they had to pay for the uniform to send him to school and so like that's kind of uh uh you know what i mean where i get a lot of the my biggest fear is being mediocre or it's like to do what my dad did it'd be like me being coming like a multi-millionaire where they have, I'm never going to know what it's like to go hungry to not, you know what I mean? Like all these things that to your point of like your parents working really hard to make sure that I never had to experience a lot of these like trials and tribulations. Yeah. It puts a good pressure on you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, In in a healthy way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay. We're going to wrap up on the last question. You get to invite, you're having a four person dinner you get to invite three people to dinner, dead or alive, fictional or non-fictional. On the last guest invited Batman, the first fictional pick ever. Um, who's getting the invite? 
from Mike Lee. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. That's awesome. So I invite three people. Three, so it's a four-person table. You're sitting at the head yeah. and have dinner with three people, anyone in the world that are alive. Who's getting the invites? Who, wait, who was the president during Roswell? Was that JFK? I want to invite somebody that can tell me about the aliens. Yeah. Um, my first instinct was JFK because I feel like that'd be really cool. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go Muhammad Ali. Gangster move. For so many reasons. Is that best boxer ever? No. I, I think he's the best fighter for our sport yeah. in terms of everything he did for the sport, yeah. but pure technical. And no, not quite, but... Lennox, yeah, all time, who's all time legend, a heavyweight. Oh, I guess yeah, that's the challenge, right? Is like best all time yeah. boxer. You'd have to span like yeah, it's like the pound for pound for you, right? So it's a right. harder thing. Yeah, your favorite heavyweight, um, whatever. I think Tyson Fury is all time oh, great. Forgot about that guy. That guy, I think, that's a great point. Is would give anybody in history a hard time. If you want to see the craziest thing ever, um, he gets absolutely bombarded with an absolutely soul like detaching punch yeah yeah. oh boy and then he comes back not only wins the round but ends up winning the fight like the undertaker it was it was like the undertaker yeah i mean he died and came back arguably probably the hardest hitter ever maybe francis Ngannou is uh, is up there but these are like just behemoths of humans that know how to punch yeah and he would just knock your face off and he did and then he comes back and then he wins the round i mean yeah, I forgot about Tyson Fury. Hundred percent. There, yeah. There's zero, zero pushback there. That's a really good pick. Uh, Fury versus Wilder is that first fight that you should go YouTube. It's incredible. It's insane. Um, and then the other person, and if if I had time, I'd probably think about cooler people in history. But right off the bat, I was thinking Tony Robbins. Yeah, man, I I love that guy. Yeah. I've I've yet to meet him. I've been to some of his events, but his story is incredible. How many people he's helped? Incredible. I've done the Colts. No way. Yeah, bro. Yeah. Have you done it? No. No. Oh. It's awesome. It's a wild feeling. You walk across those coals and you get to the other side and you're like, I can do anything. That's cool. I've, I've been to Tony Robbins events. I've read his books, his podcasts. Like I'm a huge Tony Robbins fan. Um, I think he's really what more of the world needs. And, uh, so yeah, it'd be cool to sit down with him man. pick his brain. So you got, so you're doing JFK, Muhammad Ali, Tony Robbins. Yeah. It's like us. That's not bad. It's a fun dinner. I think if you gave me more time, I'd come up with some different creative things. Uh, but yeah, Batman. That's good. great, right? <laughs> Batman. Help. Wait, who would, who would your three be? Um, Anybody ever ask you back? Yeah, yeah. It, to be fair, I had tons of time to think of it because it was a question I thought of. But um, big Carl Sagan guy. I don't know if you're for Carl Sagan. Awesome. Okay. Cosmos. Yeah, yeah. OG. Just not only this incredible person, but also like this actual intellectual powerhouse, but like with zero condescension. He's almost like a genius. Uh, Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, where it's like Fred Rogers had this just incredible uh, communication style and empty. Uh, and uh, Carl Sagan, I thought was just he—he he was just incredible, really, really brilliant guy, really, really good take on it. Uh, if you want to watch something crazy, uh, YouTube the Blue Dot, and it's an essay he wrote, and people put it to like crazy stuff. But he was just an incredibly eloquent person, um, big stoic. So Marcus Aurelius, I think that okay. guy is crazy interesting. This like I'm. I'm free reading meditations now it's just what uh to have that much power and still like be able to tame your ego have humility to know that like you need to resist these urges even though they're you still have them like there i thought he was just a a really brilliant guy and then who was my third person who would i do now you put me on the spot huh sagan and then you know i think it would be really actually fairly interesting to have some sort of business titan and or Steve Jobs. I think Steve Jobs would be really interesting, but I think somebody like, um, and the problem is some of these guys are really interesting in certain verticals and actually horrible humans. And so that's where I kind of get um, a little bit twisted about. But I think like uh, Rockefeller would have been interesting. Like one of these like titans, like Rockefeller or Carnegie or something, kind of really douchey people, but just seeing how they, they, like they were just so ahead of like, they, they saw the chess game. I'm not incredibly religious, but Jesus popped up in my head. That I'd want to see. One, are you the real deal? That was that's normally my third one. You know, is uh, just want to know Buddha. That was my. Oh, all right, there you Buddha. go. Buddha, because it was. Do you know the story of the Buddhaish? Yeah, yeah, basically yeah. Basically, super, super rich guy. His yeah. dad didn't let him leave the palace or see any of the like ills of life, and then anyway. So I think that's a a, a very cool apocryphal story. Dude, we did it. We, we got it, it done. We nailed Another it. Another row eyes in the books. 
Um, tell the people where to find you. How can they get some soul CBDs? Time's yours, my friend. Yeah, we're um, at get.soul on Instagram, and it's getsoul.com. And then you can find me. I'm at official Mike Lee, uh, really only on Instagram. I have a Twitter, but barely on it. And I am not Mike Lee, the senator. Yeah. I get I a lot of hate tweets and a lot of hate messages. You'd be shocked. People hate this guy, Mike Lee. I know nothing about him. Uh, I'm not for him or against him, but it's not me, dude. So please stop messaging me. Dude, you should see. It's it's really insane. I'm like, how stupid are these people? Because my Twitter handle is Mike Lee Boxing. Yeah. And they type in like, what a POS Mike Lee Boxing is. I can't believe you voted. Sometimes I'll chirp back like in a funny way. I'll be like, what did I do? Yeah. So anyway, I'm not the senator. I'm not going into politics. I used to punch people for a living. It's very different. <laughs> Not the senator, Mike. The getsoul.com CBD, yeah. right? Yeah, Soul. go get your CBDs. I'm telling you guys. Getsoul.com, yeah. Getsoul.com, yeah. The the flavor profiles will absolutely blow your mind. When's the expansion? Are, are the subs already online or no? Uh, yeah, so the, the rebrand is happening in early May. Amazing. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, so yeah. Right, probably when this drops, actually. Or, or, yeah. Right around there. Yeah, it'll be awesome. Almost there. Dude, thank you for coming on, man. Thanks for having me.